Hello and welcome to the CRE with Cobalt Banker Commercial Worldwide podcast. My name is Christina Ballas, the National Director of Strategic Implementation for CBC, and I'll be your host today. With us, we have Travis Carson. He's a JD MBA from Market Force Global. You may remember Travis from our virtual global conference this past March. He led a session during our leadership day where he took some of you through key elements of building successful teams. Today, I'm going to pick Travis's brain on ways that we can be better brokers. Welcome, Travis, and thank you for joining us. Could you start by telling us a little about your background with special attention to your commercial real estate history? Absolutely. First, let me just say it's a real privilege uh, for me to be here. Very excited to speak to you, Christina. We've gotten to know each other a little bit, so thank you very much for having me. Um, In terms of my background, uh, I'm 48 years old. I live in Tucson, Arizona, and I actually was planning to go to law school out of college, so I'll take it all the way back to my late teens, just very quickly, I promise. And uh, I I met a man who actually was working with my father. So here's kind of my first introduction to commercial real estate. My father was working as a broker and took on a business coach. And all of a sudden, his business began to really grow. And so I was very intrigued and was like, hey, dad, what's different? What's going on? And he said, well, you've got to meet this man who's become my business coach now. This was, you know, close to 30 years ago. So I was a freshman in college. So I'm 19 years old and I had two questions. One was, what is a business coach? (laughs) Because this is well before there was an industry. And the second was, why is it impacting your personal life? Because one of the things about coaching is, is that all professional development is, in fact, personal development. It's a big thing that we live by in my company now. So anyways, I, you know, that's kind of like the initial route. I had no idea that I, you know, be as involved with commercial real estate as, as, as I have become. But here's my quick background. I went on to uh, do a little bit of this training and coaching in my early 20s, then started a business uh, with a gentleman who was close to twice my age, who'd been a client. It was in energy efficient lighting. Uh, I sold out of that when I was about 28. As you mentioned, I got my law degree and my MBA Then after that, I went and tried to become a lawyer, which was a disaster. Um, So I quickly realized that I I tell people that um, I'm a recovered lawyer at this point. Um, And then started my turn towards commercial real estate. So a couple of things happened. I I helped start a business that was a home health business. So helping people stay in their homes, move back to Tucson. That's big business in Southern Arizona. The other thing that I did is I started a development and syndication firm. And this was in Arizona in the mid 2000s. So big business until the crash hit. Mm. Uh, Simultaneously, I was starting to get back into training and coaching what has become market force principles and took on a few clients in Tucson and then a few more clients up in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, who were at CBRE, Mm -hmm. uh, gentleman Mike Fitzgerald. And Mike actually introduced us to some brokers out in Los Angeles, one of whom was a gentleman named Craig Robbins. Craig became a client, and then Craig got recruited to Colliers International, and this is when things really changed. When he was recruited to Colliers International, he went there not as a broker, but as the chief operating officer. 
And one of the first things that he did was start Collier's University. And so this would have been in the mid 2000s. So like 2003, 2004, somewhere in that arena. And he uh, put market force, what has become our system at the core of Collier's University and made it a core class in Collier's. So for the next 13 years did um, training and coaching at Collier's International with Collier's University training over 8,000 people worldwide. And that ranged from brokers at every level, appraisers, as well as shared services throughout the firm. And so in an amazing turn of events, my introduction to what has become my work was through my dad, who was a broker back uh, you know, many, many years ago, and then had this great client who was also a broker and wanted to share this material with other brokers. And that led to our long relationship with Collier. So I hope that wasn't too much <laughs> background, no, so but I thought it would be kind of fun. It, yeah. That was totally fun. I love, I love how, you know, it came full circle for you as most of our careers tend to do, right? It just happens, happens to be something deep inside of us that, that always comes up. And um, it's so wonderful that you have so much um, experience with commercial real estate. Uh, since you worked firsthand with brokers, can you tell us a little bit about your take or market forces take on how we can be better? How can we be better brokers specifically? Yeah, and, and I think to answer that question, first, just let me say that I have and my company has tremendous respect for people in commercial real estate brokers brokerage. It's um, obviously, especially in the U.S., uh, different in other countries around the world, I know. But in the U.S., it's pure commission and it's high stakes bingo is kind of what I call it, just to try to make it kind of a funny where you can have a broker work on something for months on end with big dollars attached to it and then have the whole deal go away. And I've got a lot of respect for what it takes to play in that arena. So with that, just kind of as background, here, here are a couple of things I might share and, and you tell me what you think and obviously, you know, poke and ask questions. Um, one of the big things that I've noticed about brokerage, in my humble opinion, is that one of the core things that it takes to be super successful is your ability to build really strong relationships with other people. And just about every <clears throat> commercial real estate brokerage broker that I've worked with has that as an amazing skill, their ability to read their audience, to connect with people, uh, whether it's in a, you know, kind of more of a uh, background connection or it's a connection around something more commercial Brokers have that as an amazing strength. And so I want to really acknowledge that that exists. And so with that, it's the flip side that I feel like my company uh, has really tried to help brokerage with, which is that's an already existing strength. And so we can get some marginal uplift by working with brokers on developing or enhancing their relationship skills. But sometimes it's a little bit more towards the other side, Christina. And here's what I mean is, and we say this to all our clients, so this is not perfectly directed at brokers, but one of the things we really implore for people to do is to run their business more like a business person, not like a broker or not like an accountant or not like a lawyer. And that's not meant to be in any way negative. But what it means is, is that brokers get so focused on the deals and so focused on the relationships, which is obvious and super important. But sometimes it's adding in a little bit more strategy development. 
It's adding in the build of a little bit more infrastructure and marketing and things that don't necessarily help them in a transaction today, but might actually help them produce a little bit more runway down the road. As we know, when you're in commission sales, it tends to be that every year you start back at zero. And one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is that many of our clients start building out runway where they're starting to build out pipeline, not just in the year they're in, but a year out relationships that start to lead to referrals year after year. We call that channel partnership development infrastructure that allows them to spend more time cultivating their pipeline so they're not constantly feeling like they're in a reactive reactionary mode. So the idea here is to acknowledge and embellish upon the strength of building relationships, but then to start to round out their uh, their game a little bit with a little bit more of the commercial side. Because one of the things that we have found, and people you know can feel free to disagree with me, a lot of people in brokerage don't have a lot of like pure business background. They're so good at building relationships that they leverage that skill. And so we try to help with that side of the ledger, if that makes sense. That makes sense. What's interesting, I think, is a lot of, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of our very successful brokers in our business and um, what they say sets them apart tend to be some basics that you were just talking about, right? So building the pipeline, looking several years out or always having, you know, um, somebody in the back end. And um, that tends to be what kind of sets them apart. What's interesting to me in some of the conversations we've had about market force is that sometimes these people will say, oh, it's very intuitive, like it's intuitive to them to do that. So it to me, it almost makes me feel like that might be um, something part of their style or maybe just something they learned. But it seems that that kind of ties with what you were saying. No, what's really great about that, Christina, is, is that when it is intuitive, sometimes it's hard to replicate. Mm. And, and so one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is that our company, so our company specializes in business execution. That's what we aim at. And the way that we try to do that is not through inventing things, but actually mapping what makes people successful, that there, there appear to be certain fundamentals that regardless of industry, when, pe- when applied, help people be much more successful. And good players are already doing it intuitively, but many times it's like a really good basketball player, for example, that then goes into coaching and then has a really hard time in coaching because everything came to them so intuitively that they're having a hard time kind of explaining what to do to other people. So mostly what they say is, well, and we try to take it out of that a little bit and go, let's map this. So maps don't invent territory, they express territory. And once you have the map, you're able to be, you know, for a lot of successful people and successful brokers, what they actually experience when they start using our tools isn't as as much like a revelation as it is affirmation, where they Mm go, oh, yeah, that's why this was working. And affirmation is great in business because it gives us confidence. And so now we start going, okay, we know what the plan is. We know what the map is. We know what to do. So let's go execute. And it starts removing a little bit of potential doubt or, you know, those types of things. And, and I know this is important to a lot of the people at uh, Colwell Bank or Commercial, just given our work with you all. The other thing that maps allow for is it allows for training other people. It allows for succession planning, which again is like a business concern to start building your business out. So for a lot of your top producers, 
a big part of their sustained success will be less reliance on themselves and more their ability to share what maybe they're doing intuitively with the people who are coming up behind them. And so if they're able to take some of what was otherwise intuitive, put it out and express it in a way that allows them to train and do succession planning, that can allow for like a long-term annuity, if you will, in the business. That makes so much sense. Um, From a, you know, typical, I guess, benefit, if we're thinking about like, what's the benefit of being that relationship builder besides the usual, like, of course, they built good relationships. What do you see as one of the big strengths of a, of a kind of typical broker? And when I say typical, I guess I should put an asterisk there. It's years of data and analysis and meeting lots of people that have informed you on that. We're not just, you know, putting people in buckets and everybody's very different, you know, but um, what do you think is some of the really, you know, great things that we should continue doing? Absolutely. Well, so maybe maybe for this one, uh, I'll share a little bit about how we look at the context of what makes a great salesperson. Mm. And we'll look at it through the lens of two different contextual ways of thinking. So one is through the lens of sales. And what we've identified is there's four primary ways to do sales. There's a product or service seller. There's an upseller, a cross seller, and a solution seller. So a product salesperson, just to give a quick example, like they have a product to sell. So no matter what your concern is, Christina, I have to sell you my product today, right? So if I cut the price, will you buy it now? So it's much more direct, can be a little bit pushy, those types of things. So an upseller starts to look at you and go, wow, I could sell you this, but I could also maybe sell you something that, you know, many of your offices could use. A cross seller starts to go, oh, you don't want this. Well, I also have this other product that I could sell you, or maybe this other product that I could add in as well. A solution salesperson says, what's your concern? And it doesn't mean that a solution salesperson tries to sell you everything under the sun, but what they do first is they really want to locate like what your primary sales or what your primary concerns are, issues are, what you're trying to accomplish so that I can get that idea And then I can make sure that if I can, if it's in my wheelhouse, that I start addressing your concerns specifically. Okay. So number one, what we want is to people is for people to be more in that consultative solution selling context. The second context is, is, is as a person. And this comes from Adam Grant. And um, it's a great distinction for givers, takers, and matchers. I don't know if you've ever seen this or if your folks have ever seen this, But Adam Grant does a lot of research on that there appear to be three primary kind of mindsets that people live in. So a giver is somebody whose instinct is to more give first, regardless of what the other person does. Mm -hmm. A matcher is, of course, going, well, if I'm going to give then I got to get something reciprocal back, those types of things. And of course, a taker is thinking a little bit more from what's in it for me. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting is Adam Grant's research actually shows that the people, the salespeople who make the most money are givers. Wow. The salespeople who make the least money are also givers. <laughs> okay, so, so the point is you have to be a little bit careful because you can't give to a taker because that'll drain you, right? But back to your question, you were saying, you know, what are the things that maybe our salespeople can really kind of Uh, anchor to and embellish upon, our experience has been that while there is risk in being a giver first, 
that the brokers that tend to make the most money from our experience have a salesperson context of being a solution salesperson with a giver mindset. Mm. And when you get that combination as a broker, the sky appears to be the limit. That's been our experience over the many years and the many different brokers that we've worked with. That is so interesting. I, um, you know, just I'm being reflective on some of the conversations I've had with some of um, like, like you were saying, our top producers. And that seems like it kind of matches with, you know, the way they storytell. They may not articulate it that way, but certainly matches to that. And a lot of our top producers are, you know, conversations I've had are very focused on you know, succession planning or how they can even give back to their office, even if they're not thinking of, you know, getting out of the game, they certainly just want to give back. Somebody gave to them, right? So they're now wanting to give back. So it's that giver nature. So interesting. Um, What are some of the pitfalls opposite of kind of, you know, what should we keep doing? What should we either stop doing or change or be aware of, you know, right away and try to try to get better? Sure. So maybe for this one, I'll share just an idea about what I think brokers could both kind of maybe stop and start doing a little bit. And what we work off of, uh, you know, going back to this idea of, you know, running your business like a business person is we work off of a very simple model, Christina, called an income equity model. And an income equity model in business just means that there are activities you do to work in your business. We call those income activities meaning that they're shorter term activities that tend to lead to money in the short term. And you could put maybe six months on that, but the time frame is not material. You could do three months, you could do a year, but something that is a little shorter term. So of course this would be like cold calling and touring and um, you know, it's project-based, it's transactional. The equity side of our income equity model is of course asset building. So it's longer term thinking. It's the development of a marketing plan. It's the development of a longer-term strategy. It's succession planning. It's training other people. It's channel partnership development. But you don't tend to get a return on equity, right? A return on equity right away. And so the temptation, not just in brokerage, by the way, but just with almost anybody we work with in business, the temptation in business is to be pulled very heavily towards income-related activities because there's an urgency. There's also a bit more immediate gratification, those mm-hmm. types of things. Okay, So <clears throat> when we look at it through the working in your business is income, working on your business is more the equity side. It's, what we tend to find is, is that many people in business are being drawn a little bit too heavily towards working in their business. And what that tends to lead to, here's the symptom. The symptom, no matter how much you love the industry, no matter how much you love the business, if all you're ever doing is working in the business, you tend to start burning out. And so the number of brokers that I've had the privilege of coaching in a one-on-one space over the years that I've met between about 37 years old and 42 years old, that's usually the, the window that part of the reason they're calling me is they're just burned out. Mm. And a lot of the symptom of that is just years and years and years of income-related activities. And they've been making good money. And, and so there's, it's not like it's broken. Okay, so it's not a negative comment. It's just it's hard to sustain that pace. So the biggest thing that we work with brokers on is adding a little bit of that equity 
to the to the uh, to the you know calculus, if you will. And when I say a little bit, like fifteen percent of their time, not oh, wow. some astronomical number. Yeah, like fifteen percent of their time starts going into more of that equity related side of the of the equation. And you know, fifteen percent. No, none of us work forty hours. I, I I get that, but let's just use forty hours as the marker per week. Yeah, fifteen percent is somewhere in the neighborhood of five to six hours a week. And so it's not an astronomical amount of time. It's not a huge ask, but what it does, the first symptom when when people start doing this that we find is they start to report less burnout mm. because what they're doing is they're working on longer term projects. So they're actually working on the stuff that they would never otherwise get to. So it's actually quite exciting. It gives them energy. Uh, people report uh, people report like losing track of time a little bit. Like, oh my gosh, like I got into that. I, I forgot that, you know, I needed to get to a meeting, those types of things. So it starts to become a little bit of planning around equity related activities. And here are a couple of rules of thumb, Christina, if this is you know useful for your folks. Number one, you calendar equity time first. Because if you wait until you have equity time, you never get to it because your your income time just takes over, right? Yeah. So you have to you have to calendar it first. The other recommendation we or the second recommendation we make is that you is that people calendar it at the beginning or the end of the day. Because it's very difficult in the middle part of the day to have equity time calendared because, you know, typically something's happened, right? A client's having a breakdown, maybe due diligence is going sideways, maybe something's going on. And so it's hard to get to that equity related activity. It's hard to toggle in the middle of part of the day. And then the third recommendation, Christina, is kind of an interesting one in a, uh, especially in kind of a COVID environment, if you will is we actually do recommend that people move their bodies. Mm. When people start getting into this idea of working in versus on their business, one of the things they start to notice is that everything they set up in their primary workstation is to work in their business. It's to handle a client issue. It's their files. It's, you know, whatever it is. And so if you leave your body in the same place where you work in your business, it's hard to work on your business. My coach used to say your habits and your habitat are actually attached together. And so just moving our bodies to a different workstation and having that workstation, whether it's, you know, even the, just the kitchen table. OK, but having that workstation set up to be a little bit more designed around equity related activities, like maybe you have your draft of your marketing plan or you have your succession plan over there, or maybe you just take your phone calls or your Zoom calls you know, you take your laptop and move to another station. Like I have a broker that set up two workstations in his garage. <laughs> okay. During COVID, one was his income station and one was his equity station. Just kind of trusting that you want to keep working in and working on your business a little bit separate. That is a really, really good advice. Um, I actually tend to do that without realizing when I take my uh, my catch up calls, if you will, or you know, if I'm trying to yep. build rapport with somebody, I tend to actually go outside at, during COVID. Sure. I, I tend to just sure. literally take my call outside. It just puts me in a different, you know, mindset. Not exactly. And, and, you know, just really quick to that, I love that phrase, that that word mindset or words, that phrase mindset, um, that 
that's what the income equity discussion is. It's just about managing both of those mindsets. And I think even what you were saying earlier about the, you know, the top performing brokers that you were reflecting on, they're already doing that. They may not have said it that way. And again, that's where I go back to this mapping. But what it allows people to do is then go to, you know, every broker we work with, we one of the things we do is we set up equity related projects. And then we make sure that they're managing to those equity projects. Because again, their strength is towards the income side of the ledger. So we get marginal benefit really helping brokers on that side. Where we get the big uplift with brokers is when we help them on the equity side of that equation. That makes sense. And you know, it's it's hard to get off, you know, to take time away from your day of the stuff that you do really well. Like I yes. find, you know, when you do something well, it comes easy to you. You feel productive. And you know, my my kind of personality type is I productivity, you know, to me is king. And so I love crossing yeah. things off my list. Yeah. And it's easy to do those things, you know, when you're good at them. And so it's hard to say, okay, I'm going to stop doing what I'm really good at and do something else. And you might be, you know, you might also be good at that, but um, it's just hard to kind of stop and transition. I do do time blocking. It helps. Yes. It really helps. Yeah. Time blocking is, you know, a big, you know, it's, it's a business skill that we really promote with our brokers. And that's why we're saying like, you know, we recommend that they actually put it in different colors. Mm. And so they go into their calendar and they come up with a color for their equity. We we use black. So we use green for income because that's money. We use yeah. black for long-term equity because when you're in the black, right, that's when you're producing real wealth. So we even use like those color denominations and we invite people to calendar in those different colors so that they can immediately look at their calendar and get a sense of like, am I overweighted to green do I not have enough black in there? You know, those types of things. Again, just so they have that awareness to map their calendar and to be more purposeful in that moment. Yeah. That is, yeah, that is great. I think, I think you, that was part of your, um, your teachings uh, in our leadership time, if I remember correctly, um, or maybe I heard it on a different, on a different occasion. No, no. no it, it's definitely in there. Our, yeah. our income equity model is a, is a so core good. kind of tool and yeah, so we definitely show it to leaders and, and for brokers, it's been tremendous. And I'll, I'll just anchor back to the, the three maybe biggest things I've seen the best brokers that I work with really take on from an equity side, just so I'm being, you know, as helpful as I hopefully can be. Number one is to develop a marketing strategy. Yep. Number two is to put in some infrastructure. I'm not talking about massive infrastructure, by the way, but something that allows them to not feel super reactionary. Mm. Then number three is the build of channel partnerships. And maybe I just spent an extra minute there. A channel partner is not necessarily a client or a former client. It's professional relationships that could lead to referrals. It could be that it's a client or a former client who's making referrals. But the idea is, is that it's somebody that you're um, meeting with on a reg excuse me, a regular basis to develop the kind of raving fan in that person where every time they meet somebody who could be a potential client for the broker, they're making an introduction. And that's the thing about brokers, again, that I will say is they're such good salespeople that they really take it on to always be finding their next transaction. 
But the brokers that I, that I personally had the privilege of working with that make the most money, they understand that there's real leverage in creating channel partners because essentially what you do is you create more people out there doing sales on your behalf. And again, that's not as instinctual for a great broker because they're so good at doing the sales themselves. Sometimes they don't think through that lens of leverage. That's a really good point. Yeah, it's almost like creating your... Uh... It's almost like creating a, a, a marketing plan just through relationship building, which everyone's so good at almost normal, you know, naturally. Exactly. So you take it. That's a great point. Such a good point, Christina. You take that great skill of building relationships with clients and you aim it at channel partners and yeah. channel partners isn't like a hundred people. It's like 10 to 15 people could be a lawyer, could be an accountant, could be a former client could be someone, you know, even in a government agency, it could be another broker in the firm, it could be an appraiser, okay, like somebody in an ancillary industry related to commercial real estate, you go build a great relationship with that person, so that anytime they meet somebody who could be a client for you, they go, boom, you need to talk to my person over here, this broker that I know. So you, you, you said it so well, that's what we mean by by building an asset. Right. So you take the skill of relationship building and you build yourself an asset and that starts to level out the every year starting at zero, because every year you can start to, you know, at some level rely on getting a couple of referrals from a couple couple different people. And now all of a sudden your business is more robust and doesn't have kind of that boom, you know, boom bust cycle, if you will, that happens to many brokers when they're too income focused, if you will. That makes sense. A few times on our call, you've mentioned, you know, building a marketing strategy. What does that mean to you when you say that? Yeah, I mean, again, like not, not hard, not yeah. over the top, but, you know, social media is so important. And, yeah. you know, one of the core central tenets of market force is that this is a game for identity. Mm. And again, one of the things for brokers is they're so strong at the transaction and they're so strong at the relationship that sometimes they close a big deal and nothing goes out on social media mm. and miss out on having other people know that they just closed or helped, you know, someone close a really big deal. So again, I don't want to overstate it. I'm not talking about something, you know, huge, but a bit of a social media strategy. How often do you post? What are you posting? Those types of things. Just, you know, working with someone inside the company itself. To make sure that you're getting PR at the back end of deals, you know, yep. some public relations on some big deals, you know, kind of what we're doing right now, Christina. Look, commercial real estate brokers have tremendous market knowledge. Yeah. What about getting yourself onto a podcast and talking about the state of the market, especially in this COVID environment where people are really wondering what's going to happen with retail, for example, or office or those types of things. So your tenant rep brokers, okay. What about getting on a podcast and just talking about the future of work and what they what they're hearing from their clients and those types of things? So again, you know, not not anything hard, but just little things that start to create a little bit more identity to make the transactions easier in the future because their identity is already out there in the market as opposed to just relying on their strength of building relationships. That's so true. You know, it's almost like, uh, you know, if I could say it in a different way, and uh, you know, it's, it's almost like 
you don't want to keep all your success a secret because you want people to know that's why they should hire you. So why not tell people? So how are you going to tell people if it's social media? Awesome. If it's podcasts, you know, great. But it's like, don't keep your success a secret. Tell people, exactly. tell people how great you are. <laughs> tell people, tell people how great you are. And, and, and again, like, I, I just think that brokers are so good at what they're good at. That yeah. Sometimes they they don't go, oh, I could actually make my life easier <laughs> if I just put a little bit of this out there. Right. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they don't have to rely so heavily or like you said, they can take that time. Maybe they get one extra transaction because they're doing a little bit of marketing. Well, what if they could take that time and build one channel partner and then mm. that channel partner leads to one or two deals per year? All of a sudden, it's starting to feel more like a steady state business where you can manage pipeline and those types of things as opposed to, oh, I've got a deal. Now I don't have a deal. Oh, I got a deal. Now I've got a deal. Oh, now I don't have a deal. And they get more into that cycle that, again, I will say that's the, you know, that's the um, situation that I've encountered so many brokers in between that ages of 20, uh, 37 and 42, where they're just burned out. They're burned out from that cycle. That makes sense. Um, I want to shift gears and ask you a, a fun question. What, sure. and, you know, we've talked about this a little bit. Um, you know, what are what are some good pointers on how to make a good in, in first impression? So I know that everyone, you know, probably on the call is a bit of a relationship builder, like you've said. Uh, but first impressions are different for people receiving that impression or making that impression. Oh, totally. Well, I think I have a good one here for your folks to consider that. What we anchor to on this one, Christina, is that trust is almost everything mm -hmm. in terms of helping you make a good first impression. Like the quicker you can get somebody to feel comfortable working with you and feeling like, hey, putting this, you know, large transaction in this person's hands makes me feel good. The sooner we can produce that, the better. So we distinguish trust as equal parts two things. We call it competence which is the person's capability and their skill set. And the second element is sincerity. So the person's likability factor, if you will. And what I always want to make clear here, Christina, is that everybody needs both. In order to get a client to trust us, they need to both feel like, hey, this is a person I have a connection with, and this person has the skill set to get the transaction done. Mm. So there's the cultural and the commercial element. But here's what we've identified over the years is that the rank order is different. Mm. So every single one of your brokers right now could start running some game film on all the different clients they have currently. Are they a primary competence person, meaning they really anchor to the commercials and your background and your credentials and the data that you're going to provide and those types of things? Or are they somebody who's a little bit more like, hey, let, let me look at you, let me look you in the eye. Do I feel like we have a good connection and those types of things? And if if your brokers could start to read that, and it's not as hard as people think at first. Like you just start reading. Is this somebody who wants to create a little bit of connection? Maybe talk about where I'm from. Maybe talking talking about if I'm married. Maybe talking about where I went to university. Those types of things. Or is this somebody who just wants to get right down to business? So again, it's not hard. And then leverage to that. Mm. build trust in the order that the other person wants it built because here's what 
most of us tend to do, and this isn't just a brokerage phenomenon, by the way, but most people, when they feel pressure, begin to index to the thing that's most important to them. So if I'm somebody who focuses more on credentials and commercial, if I'm meeting somebody and I feel nervous, I'm going to start talking about the deal and the transaction and the data that I can provide and all that. But for example, Christina, if you're somebody who who anchors a little bit more at first to the likability factor, I might, even with the best of intentions, not be hitting the mark in terms of building trust with you quickly. Mm. So. We call that following the golden rule, which is where you're going around treating everybody how you would want to be treated, yeah. which means you're only connecting with 50% of your audience. And so if brokers could really just take that on, first kind of go, okay, what's my primary trust concern? Am I more of a competence-based person or a sincerity-based person? Because it's always important to know who we are. Yeah. But then if you can literally take that and set it aside and start noticing what's going on for the other person, then that's where we use this uh, moniker of the platinum rule. And the platinum rule is treat other people how they want to be treated. So if you meet somebody like, like for me, I'm a competence-based person, but if I meet somebody who's more of, you know, focused on sincerity, what we always tell those people is just relax, have a conversation. You know, when that person feels comfortable, they're going to start going, Hey, it's been great to talk to you a little bit about your background and where you're from. Let's talk business. They'll transition to the competent side. You just have to let them do it in the order that they want. Mm. So I hope that makes sense. But it's it's one of the most powerful distinctions that we feel like we offer to help people make that really good first impression. That totally makes sense. What's a um, what's a quick little cheat tell? Like what's a tell that somebody is competence or sincerity based? Sure. Um, you know, it's really interesting because in the COVID world. You know, a lot of us are using, you know, Teams or Zoom or video conferencing. And so one of the, like the little things that I do, like, like let's say I'm, I have a sales pitch. So different industry, but we're all kind of in commission sales. So maybe I'm meeting with somebody for the first time. One of the things that I'll do, Christina, is before I share the slides, I'll share my background screen. My wife and I have four children. My background screen has pictures of my kiddos. So when that comes up, if they're a sincerity-based person, they usually go, oh, how many kids do you have, right? And they, they might actually dig a little bit into that visual before I just start putting up what, I, what I'm, what I'm going to be pitching on in terms of business. If they're a confidence-based person, it usually stays a little quiet. <laughs> and so even that little tidbit starts to give me like, okay, which way should I start relating to this person super early on in the relationship? Now, hopefully, knock on wood, we're coming out of the COVID era as we start getting back working with people, it's little, little, little things, Christina, that can tip people's hands. Like maybe just when when your brokers are talking to people and they're offering to meet with them the first time, give the person the option. Would you rather I come to your office or would you like to meet at a Starbucks? Mm. Typically, confidence-based people will choose their office because they feel more comfortable in a place where they feel competent. Whereas a sincerity-based person many times likes to meet over lunch or coffee or something like that. So even just kind of, you know, developing little things like that where you're giving people the opportunity to kind of tip their hand, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, don't even, you don't even have to figure it out as much as just ask, so right? Just ask little questions like that. Now, again, another good one that's kind of a good tidbit is when you go into somebody's office, 
down the road, right? When we get back to normal life, just start noticing how they've decorated it. A competence-based person tends to put their degrees up on the wall, awards, things like that. And basically what they're saying is, listen, this is really important to me that we start with competence. Yeah. Many times you go into a sincerity, a person who has a sincerity base and they'll have more pictures mm. and things like that. Now, what a lot of people will ask me in this moment is, well, what do you do if they have both? Well, you don't jump out the window. Okay. That's not the approach. <laughs> but this is where you just start asking. If you go in and you, you know, you're trying to read the environment, is this person competence-based, sincerity-based? What we recommend is take, you know, look at one of the pictures and ask a question. Oh, Jim, is this your family? If Jim talks for 10 minutes about all the pictures on the wall, he probably has a sincerity base. Relax. He'll get to the competence in a minute, but this is how he wants to build a relationship. If you ask Jim, is this your family? And he says, yes. <laughs> and then nothing else. <laughs> okay. You got to be able to read the room yeah. and go, okay, this person probably wants me to get down to business first. And then he'll be worried about the connection piece later. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. Those are some really good tips. I love that. I love the restaurant, you know, the restaurant versus the office thing. It's so actionable, you know? Yes. Um, one other thing that I thought, you know, we could touch on a little bit is the, uh, kind of puts both of those ideas together, like how to kind of read people, but then also, you know, what we were talking about, uh, marketing and, and showing off your successes. How do you acknowledge or how can we how can we get better at acknowledging successful projects or closing out transactions? So, you know, we we figured out maybe how to gauge a room on, on first impressions and setting it up. But then at the same time, how do we make the success resonate and maybe replicate or, you know, just just feel better at the end? Yeah, I think a big part of this. So I, I, maybe I'll take it from two angles. One is on the commercial side, when, you know, the, the brokers that I've worked with over the years that have been the most successful are primary income players with an equity mindset. So they never lose that fire in the belly to generate transaction and do deals and those types of things. But then when a deal is over, they recognize that the deal's over, but business isn't over, right? Like yeah, I could do some things here, like, you know, like you were saying, like some PR on the transaction and those types of things. So I use my equity mindset to maybe even start setting up for and helping me down the road. And maybe that doesn't lead to a deal today. Like maybe putting out a little bit of PR on that deal doesn't lead to a deal tomorrow. But hopefully what it does is it plants a seed like, oh, this person's doing a lot of good stuff in my market. The next time I have an issue, I need to remember that so-and-so is in my market. And then I think the one that's a little bit more personal based. So, so that's kind of more the equity focus. Um, this one, you know, the second tip might be a little bit more back to the idea of kind of reading the audience, reading the room that we've kind of noticed that how people even like to, you know, be acknowledged after a transaction is a little different. So in our model, we've identified four different styles, Christina. And one of those is a control person who tend to be longer term thinkers, bigger picture idea people. Influences tend to be natural relationship people. So they're more focused on, was this a fun ride working with you? Mm -hmm. Powers 
tend to be more production based. You were mentioning earlier that, <laughs> you know, you sit in this category. So they tend to be very focused on productivity. And then authorities like myself tend to be more data driven, um, focused a little bit more on ROI and those types of things. So, you know, to the extent that, you know, any of your brokers are interested in that, they can follow up with you. Obviously, you've gotten very good with this work, but even making that identification allows us to acknowledge people after transactions in a really cool way. And the way that we even like to think about this is if you were to write a note, which, you know, most of us don't do that as much anymore, but if you were to write a handwritten note to each one of those people after a successful transaction, to a control person, the theme of the note would be great idea, meaning mm -hmm. This was a great idea for you to sell at this time or to buy at this time. And I'm so appreciative that I had a chance to help you execute on this idea. Control person would love to hear that. For an influence person who's got that natural relationship bent, maybe what you would say is this was great fun. It mm -hmm. was really fun working with you. And I hope I get the chance to work with you again in the future. Those types of things. For someone whose power, maybe what you say is great work. We really rolled up our sleeves and we were so productive in getting this done. We overcame the odds. We got it over the line. And then for an authority person, many times what they want to hear in that situation is great insights. Like, you know, hey, Jim, I really learned a lot working with you on this transaction and feel like I'm going to be able to take a lot of these lessons into my relationships into the future. Now, I hope that wasn't too much, Christina, and none of that can be delivered in a pandering or condescending or any you know way or anything like that it's got to come from a place of empathy and sincerity but if we're going to take the time to acknowledge people that we work with it's not a bad idea to think about what's important to them and what's meaningful to them in terms of an acknowledgement so one of those tips is more about having that equity mindset and realizing that while the transaction's over you could still get something out of this, you know, longer term on an equity basis. And then one of those tips is more on the relationship side and making sure that you're acknowledging people where they live. That makes sense. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little because you and I have had a lot of conversations about the market force way of categorizing things. But for, for, for those of you at home, you know, the competence-based folks, those are your insights and like good insights, good ideas. Like those people want to feel like what yes. they had to offer was like super awesome. But then for the sincerity piece, it's good work, fun to work with you. Like the, the it's, it is almost that relationship benefit, you know? Got it. Got it. Yeah. And, and, you know, influences their, their index is towards the sincerity of the relationship. Powers index towards the sincerity of doing quality work. And then authorities index towards the competence of did we get a good result and controls index towards the competence of was it a good idea? So, no, you're nailing it. And that's where you just get, you know, the little nuance, right? Like, again, a lot of your brokers are already doing this intuitively. But the magic, if you will, of using something like the market force model in this moment is your brokers can come back to their office and go, okay, team. That person I just met with is this style, is a control person, for example. And if everybody's using that as a common language, everybody is signaled on, okay, this person is a competence-based person. So here's how we want to drive our updates to them. Here's how we want to follow up with them. And now all of a sudden, 
the client is having this great experience, which hopefully turns them into a channel partner, meaning that they make an introduction on our behalf down the road, and then boom, we've built an asset. So that's how we start connecting all the pieces here to turn this into a real kind of business execution system for your brokers. That is so helpful. I really appreciate you taking the time. So one thing that I thought would be fun to close us out for the day, Travis, is for both of us to give uh, what our top three nuggets of information are. Either you can you can lead and tell us what your top three are, but you know I'm a note taker and I have my top three. So up to you which way you want to go first. <laughs> yeah, um, let, let, let me try. Uh, so So number one, I think the mindset that we would be encouraging for brokers to consider is this income player with equity mindset, meaning play to your strength of developing relationships and transactions, but add a little bit of that you know, area on top with that equity mindset. And that would lead to number two, start to look towards that 10 to, you know, 10 to 15% of your time going into equity. And the first thing that I would be encouraging people to look at is what is that doing towards your um, burnout factor? Making sure that you're getting longevity to your own play so that you can maximize revenue over time. And then the third one, I would go to, you know, what you were asking about, which is, you know, maybe the best distinction we feel like we give out for making a good first impression is that competence versus sincerity piece. And we would really want your brokers to try that one on and see if it doesn't help them accelerate the rate at which they're making that great first impression. So those would be the three I would share. That is awesome. And I, if I could share my screen, you know, through the audio, I would, um, but I, we have the top three different orders, but we have the same top three. Mine was the confidence versus sincerity was my personal fave. Um, and then the mindset and then calendaring, right? So the 10 to 15%, I feel like that is something so actionable and, you know, an easy thing that we can ask people to just do. So I, I, I love that. I totally love that. Like for me, I would say the next time you meet with somebody, ask them if they want to meet in their in person, ask them if they you want, they want you to meet in their office or at a restaurant. That's like so awesome to try and figure out, you know, whether their competence or sincerity based from a mindset, you know, just trying to think about the equity mindset and then just really calendar it 10 to 15%, put it on your calendar, put it in black or whatever color you prefer, but just, you know, take, take that initiative and put it on your calendar. That would be my top three advice. And so we were totally on the same page, which is Isn't awesome. that amazing. <laughs> that, that's amazing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. That is awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much. If anybody, you know, wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way that they could connect if that was something you were open to? Easy, easy. Uh, can reach out to us through uh, marketforceglobal.com. So marketforceglobal.com is the website. Uh, and then happy to have people kind of start there. Uh, my email address is just t. Carson, C-A-R-S-O-N, at marketforceglobal.com. So if someone wanted to reach to us directly, and then, of course, reach to Christina and Christina's team. Um, Dan Spiegel uh, is a longtime user of MarketForce, over a decade now. And the folks are getting really, really good with this material. So it doesn't have to come to us. Just use the resources internally, and let's go out there and just, you know, produce a tremendous amount of prosperity. That's what we're in it for. So that's great. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. And for all of you listening, if you want to like or subscribe, you know, please do so you can get notified when we have new episodes. And thank you for joining us on the CRE with Coal Banker Commercial Worldwide podcast. Thanks so much.